Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. This episode features discussions of disordered eating, sexual harassment, and assault. We advise extreme caution for listeners under 13. The young woman probably thought the Victoria's Secret photo shoot would be her big break. Instead, it might have ruined her life. For privacy reasons, the model's identity hasn't been released. In this episode, we'll call her Gretchen. Like many aspiring models, Gretchen was probably overjoyed to learn she'd nabbed a lingerie shoot with photographer Russell James. He was a Victoria's Secret regular. If he liked Gretchen, that could turn into more gigs in the future. Throughout the session, she was compliant and agreeable, eager to make a good impression. After they finished, James asked Gretchen to stick around and pose nude for a personal project. Even though it wasn't part of her contract and she wasn't paid anything extra, Gretchen agreed. She didn't want to be seen as a diva or difficult to work with. Gretchen hardly thought twice about the nude pictures themselves. It was no secret that James sold books full of naked Victoria's Secret Angels on his website. But she probably shrugged off any hesitance she felt. The books were art. She certainly wasn't prepared for what she saw later when she walked into the Las Vegas Victoria's Secret store. There, Gretchen came face to face with her own naked body staring back at her from a poster-sized photo on the wall. Gretchen reported the picture. She'd never consented for it to be featured in an advertising campaign. Victoria's Secret removed the offending image, but otherwise shrugged off her concerns about James' violation. Boys will be boys. But Gretchen wasn't alone. Countless other women suffered from harassment and inappropriate behavior during photo shoots. The lingerie empire didn't seem to see its models as valued employees. Instead, they were objects to be bought and sold. The angels were little more than playthings of the devil. This is The Dark Side Of, a ParCast original, a show where we will delve into the seedy underbelly of pop culture icons and historical events. We aim to expose the ugly truth behind cultural moments and public figures we hold most dear, proving that there is always more to the story than meets the eye. I'm your host, Richard. And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of The Dark Side Of and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream The Dark Side Of for free on Spotify, just open the app and type The Dark Side Of in the search bar. This season, we're digging into fashion, from its troubled origins all the way through the never-ending churn of fast fashion. Today, we're looking at two of the most accessible windows into the sartorial world, America's Next Top Model and the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show. Both television programs bring the glitz of the runway into your living room, and they also disseminate some of the fashion industry's most harmful values. Unhealthy body image, racist beauty standards, and the misogynistic objectification of models. Fashion-centric TV shows teach young women there's only one way to be beautiful, and they do it with tactics that are downright ugly. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush 
which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Twice a year, every year, the tastemakers of the world descend on Paris, France. Magazine editors, photographers, retail executives, and celebrities pack into the Carousel de Louvre, where they are treated to a feast for the eyes. Models strut the runway in their flashiest threads, often carrying props and posing on the elaborate sets. In 2019, high-end label Balenciaga created a dystopian LED-lined runway. Meanwhile, Christian Dior performers blended fashion and movement in a choreographed dance. The eye-popping displays are par for the course at Paris Fashion Week, a mostly biannual celebration of high fashion and haute couture. But unless you're an A-lister, a reporter, or part of the industry, you'll probably never set foot at the event. It's invite only. And yet, you know exactly what a runway looks like. You can picture the models in your mind, the glamorous clothes, the flashbulbs that light up the room as photographers scramble for the perfect shot. That's because fashion is entertainment. And thanks to reality competition shows like America's Next Top Model, millions of people now have a behind-the-scenes peek into the modeling industry. Or at least we like to think we do. America's Next Top Model, or ANTM, was created by superstar model Tyra Banks. She hit the scene in 1990 and immediately became a focal point for controversy in the fashion world. Tabloids reported on the supposed feud between 18-year-old Banks and another black supermodel, 20-year-old Naomi Campbell. According to reports, Campbell was cold and distant, going out of her way to make Banks feel unwelcome in the fashion world. Banks often lay awake at night, crying as a result. But years later, Banks revealed that the entire feud was fake, manufactured by the press for headlines. Banks and Campbell were pitted against one another because the fashion world was so predominantly white. Gossip journalists alleged that there wasn't enough room for two successful, beautiful black women on the runway. As Banks explained in a Wall Street Journal interview, the adult me understands that Naomi was reacting to an industry that was all about a token. When I came on the scene, Naomi, look out. There's another black girl that's going to take your spot. In light of the unfair narrative, Banks resolved to leverage her fame and fortune to change the industry. In 2003, she promised to open doors for models who might otherwise be shut out. Thus was America's Next Top Model born. The competition reality series sent contestants through challenges, photo shoots, runway walks, and video recordings. 
At the end of each season, or cycle, as ANTM calls them, one victor would score a lucrative modeling contract with a sponsor. But for all Banks' claims that she wanted to disrupt the industry, ANTM promoted surprisingly traditional values. Well, maybe it's not that surprising. After all, Banks was coaching her contestants on how to succeed in the modeling world. And that meant teaching them to conform to the fashion industry's narrow standards of beauty. Even after Banks was pigeonholed as the token black supermodel, she often criticized contestants of color for their racially coded features. In an article titled, Is Tyra Banks Racist? Slate's J.E. Dahl highlighted Banks' tendency to focus on traits deemed too black. Particularly, Banks fixated on Cycle 6 contestant Danny Evans's rural southern accent. Although other judges found her drawl charming, Banks insisted Danny would never succeed in the industry until she changed the way she spoke. Dahl noted, Many of the black ANTM contestants talk about how thrilled they are to be in Tyra's presence. But how does she repay their adoration? By trying to eradicate ethnic idiosyncrasies in their personality and appearance. Danny's accent wasn't her only trait that came under fire. She had a small gap in her teeth, and the show offered to pay for dental work to fill it in. Danny declined, insisting that the gap made her unique. It was her signature. On the show, Banks lectured her, saying, Do you really think you can have a covergirl contract with a gap in your mouth? This is all people see. It's not marketable. As it turned out, Banks was wrong. Danny went on to win the cycle. But her victory came at a price. She had to partially close the gap in her teeth. In a later TV Guide interview, Danny described the dental procedure as a compromise she had to make to succeed. Disheartening as it was, a quick dental visit wasn't invasive or difficult. However, it's much harder for already thin women to shed pounds to fit the mold, especially when the industry demands an unnatural and often unattainable body type. In Cycle 5, contestant Kenya Hill once voiced a discomfort with her weight. Sadly, her willingness to be vulnerable put a target on her back. For the rest of the cycle, Banks and the other judges and producers seized every opportunity to shame her for her appearance. At one point, the seven competitors had to do a Seven Deadly Sins-themed photo shoot. Every model laid in a coffin with props and an outfit that corresponded to a particular vice. Kenya's sin? Gluttony. She posed atop a pile of donuts and bacon, a sinful red apple in her hand. As a side note, that particular shoot came under fire for another reason. It took place right after another competitor, Kaylin, learned that a close friend had recently died. Critics skewered the coffin theme for capitalizing on her grief. And the controversial Seven Deadly Sins shoot wasn't the only distasteful photo op. A few episodes later, the finalists posed as wild animals for another challenge. Kenya had to dress as an elephant. On the one hand, that's just how reality TV works. Contestants are put in compromising, stressful, or humiliating positions. Then the cameras capture every moment of the drama. But ANTM is different. 
Models as a whole are supposed to embody beauty. So when the show says there's something wrong with being curvy, they're explicitly promoting unrealistic standards to their viewers, most of whom are girls and young women. Media critic Jennifer L. Posner unpacked how damaging this message can be in a post for the establishment on Medium. In particular, she examined the problematic way the show handled contestant Cassie Grisham in Cycle 3. Cassie had an eating disorder. Though she didn't identify as a person with bulimia, her behavior fit the symptoms. She induced vomiting as a way to control her weight. The show had an opportunity to portray Cassie's struggles in a sensitive way. They could have provided information about body positivity, healthy dieting, or eating disorder support. Instead, they criticized Cassie for not going far enough to lose weight. The show frequently depicted Cassie as an out-of-control binge eater. They framed her eating disorder as a symptom of her inability to stick to a diet. During a runway challenge, a judge quipped, she's not exactly a size two. When Cassie was eliminated, Tyra explained in veiled words that she didn't want it enough. And whether she meant it or not, Tyra also sent a clear message to the millions of viewers at home that they should do whatever it took to get skinny, even if it meant starving themselves or getting sick. Anything less was a sign of laziness and lack of discipline. To be clear, Tyra Banks and America's Next Top Model didn't create fat phobia or Western society's unhealthy obsession with weight loss. But they did disseminate harmful values through their broadcasts. They might argue that their vicious messaging helped up-and-coming models break into the industry. At least, it was supposed to. But America's Next Top Model didn't open doors as promised. In some cases, the show destroyed contestants' careers and their lives. Up next, the ANTM contestant who spiraled out of control even after the cameras stopped rolling. Hey, Parcasters. Looking for a more lighthearted listen? Then I've got the perfect podcast for you. The new Spotify original from Parcast called Incredible Feats. Hosted by comedian and podcaster Dan Cummins, Incredible Feats is a daily show spotlighting true accounts of mind-blowing physical strength, mental focus, and bizarre behavior. Join Dan every weekday as he goes behind the scenes and into the achievements of everyone from freedivers and body modifiers to ultramarathoners and moms. Incredible Feats is offbeat entertainment that's sometimes weird, sometimes wonderful, and always surprising. Search Incredible Feats and follow free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the story. From 2003 to 2018, America's Next Top Model broadcast 24 seasons, or cycles. Creator Tyra Banks wanted the competition series to disrupt the fashion industry. But it ended up promoting traditional standards of beauty, sometimes to a dangerous degree. As for the prizes they offered, the show didn't live up to its own hype. In fact, rather than opening doors, ANTM made it harder for competitors to start their careers. 
Several former contestants have commented on an anti-reality TV sentiment in the fashion and entertainment industries. Shows like ANTM primarily existed to entertain viewers at home. The contestants who came up through the show were subsequently seen as reality stars, not real models. Cycle 3 contestant Yaya DaCosta summed up her struggles to land auditions in an interview with pop culture website Complex. She said, There was such a stigma in Hollywood, and people don't realize that. The stigma didn't just have to do with being a model. It was reality TV in general. You didn't talk about it. It wasn't on your resume. The very first ANTM winner, Adrian Curry, also experienced how strong the anti-top model sentiment could be. Adrian was supposed to win a $15,000 deal with Revlon. But after the show wrapped, she learned that the beauty line had no intention of featuring her in their ads. Revlon offered to fulfill the strictest terms of the contract. They'd pay Adrian the 15K for one photo shoot. And even though Adrian was devastated to think the film would never be used in a marketing campaign, the pay wasn't bad, so she agreed. Except Revlon didn't uphold their end of the bargain. Adrian never got paid. She reached out to the ANTM producers, hoping they'd advocate on her behalf or at least help her land other work. But her appeals never went anywhere. Banks and her team had another cycle to film. And since then, several contestants have learned the hard way that America's next top model and the fashion industry are often incompatible. One of the saddest stories is that of Renee Alway. She finished in the top three in 2007 Cycle 8. But afterward, like many former contestants, she couldn't find work. Lack of employment sent Renee into a miserable spiral. She'd spent her whole life trying to break into the modeling world. Now, it seemed like her dreams were permanently out of reach. In a news interview, she explained, it was just closed door after closed door after closed door. And that was really hard to take. And then there's the pressure of the fans. Where are you? What happened? It's almost like a setup for failure. To make matters worse, she got addicted to the painkillers she took to treat her back pain. To fund her drug use, Renee turned to identity theft and burglary. On June 28, 2013, Renee broke into a vacant home in Palm Springs. A neighbor spotted her and called the cops. Renee had a gun and refused to leave the garage. The police tried to coax her out while SWAT teams searched the house for accomplices. Cue a six-hour standoff. Eventually, Renee was apprehended. It was her fourth arrest that year. She was sentenced to 12 years in prison, but got out after five on parole. Sadly, she only spiraled further from there. She lost custody of her three children. In 2015, she stole a car while carrying an illegal weapon. And in 2019, she was arrested on domestic assault charges. Again, we should note... America's Next Top Model is not directly tied to Renee's addiction or crimes. Even Renee acknowledged that, telling a local journalist, There are plenty of girls who were eliminated from the show, and they're doing just fine. So, obviously, I made choices that brought me here as well. But her bad experiences with the competition certainly marked a turning point in her own life. 
Of course, some people do benefit from ANTM. Otherwise, the CW wouldn't have made 24 cycles as of this recording. The show is a hit. Thanks to the success of ANTM, fashion-themed competition shows became a genre all on their own. RuPaul's Drag Race began in part as a satire of Banks' series. You can see the influences in the challenges that have nothing to do with drag culture, like when queens strut on the runway. And reality TV peeks into every facet of the fashion industry, even the lives of people who never appear in front of the cameras. In December 2004, Bravo premiered its first episode of Project Runway. Like ANTM, Runway is a reality competition show. But its focus is aspiring fashion designers who compete to create new clothing items every episode. Also, like ANTM, Runway isn't the leg up it promises to be. Season 4 contestant Jack McEnroth told Paper Magazine that the show doesn't do much for the contestants' professional development. He said, Most people just go back to their old careers and continue to struggle. The fashion industry frowns on Project Runway and doesn't take the designers very seriously. And yet, aspiring competitors keep pouring in. The allure of the fashion industry is just too enticing. Some designers would do almost anything to get their five minutes in the spotlight, or have someone else wear one of their creations in the spotlight. Today, models are as famous outside the fashion industry as they are on the runways. Women like Kendall Jenner, Gigi Hadid, and Heidi Klum are all household names, and they have something else in common. They've all appeared on the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show. The event sets itself apart from other fashion shows because it doesn't traffic in exclusivity. It can be a powerful fame maker because it's broadcast live on network TV. The televised program was the brainchild of the Victoria's Secret Chief Marketing Officer, Ed Razek. But to explain why he decided to broadcast the event, we need to dive into the complicated history of Victoria's Secret. Before 1982, the company marketed their wares to husbands and boyfriends. It was supposed to be, as the Washington Post's Taylor Telford put it, a lingerie store that men would feel comfortable shopping in. The problem? Victoria's Secret catered exclusively to male clientele. When millionaire clothing retailer Leslie Wexner visited a shop, he noticed that the product was great, but the ambiance, not so much. In a 2010 Newsweek interview, he compared it to a brothel. Wexner knew he could bring in female shoppers if he overhauled the brand's reputation. So he bought the company for roughly $1 million, or over $2.5 million today. And then he revamped its image, creating a retail colossus in the process. Razik helped usher Victoria's Secret through its metamorphosis. He championed highly sexualized ad campaigns that sold the brand as a product for empowered modern women. In an interview with Vogue, Razik claimed that before his tenure, most women only wore boring but functional tan or white undergarments. Razik's campaigns gave women everywhere permission to embrace lace, polka dots, stripes, and bright colors. To hear Razik tell it, he proved it was okay to like the way you look with your clothes off. 
In order to normalize lingerie shopping, Rasik campaigned to bring Victoria's Secret into ordinary Americans' living rooms. In 1999, the lingerie brand posted a live online stream of its annual fashion show. Critics complained that it was too salacious. Their laments became even more pronounced in 2001 when the fashion show made the leap from the internet to television. Slate's Dana Stevens said, This show is like a pair of Victoria's Secret undies. Tawdry, disposable, and unimaginative. Sort of embarrassing to be caught looking at, but secretly shiny and fun. Her review also quoted the National Organization of Women, who called it a softcore porn infomercial. But audiences didn't mind the risque content. The fashion show netted 12.4 million viewers in 2001. For context, that's just one million fewer people than watched the Lost series finale. Those are impressive numbers. But the ratings aren't that surprising. Razik had the best Hollywood talent on board to make the program a success. One year, film mogul and serial rapist Harvey Weinstein produced the fashion show. Even though Weinstein is infamous today for his sexual assaults, we can't deny he was a powerful and effective producer. His show was a rousing success. And like America's Next Top Model, the Victoria's Secret fashion show had a hook, giving ordinary Americans a glimpse into the fashion world. The show had immense power. It could have celebrated diverse models, promoted weight positivity, or encouraged inclusivity. Instead, it fell back on the same old, outdated beauty standards that permeated the fashion industry. On multiple occasions, the Victoria's Secret fashion show came under fire for racial insensitivity. You'd think it would be hard to make underwear modeling bigoted, but the lingerie line found a way. Victoria's Secret models, often called angels, walked the runway with props to help their underwear fit a theme. For example, in 2012, the show featured 12 models, each dressed to represent a month of the year. White model Carly Kloss embodied November, specifically Thanksgiving, in a Native American-inspired headdress and turquoise jewelry. The outfit sparked criticism, but Victoria's Secret didn't learn from the mistake. Five years later, white models adopted headdresses and beaded accessories in what many felt was another instance of indigenous appropriation. In addition, the 2016 Road Ahead exhibition featured props and garments inspired by traditional Chinese designs. Elsa Hosk, who isn't Chinese, strutted the runway with a feather dragon draped around her body. Then, there are the numerous instances of animal print lingerie paired with African-inspired jewelry and body paint. Accusations of cultural appropriation plague Victoria's Secret fashion show, with too many examples to fully cover here. This is especially appalling because the fashion show's creator, Ed Razik, publicly touted Victoria's Secret's culture of inclusivity. In an interview with Vogue, he talked about his efforts to feature racially diverse models. He even claimed he encouraged women of color to wear their natural hair on the runway. So he understands the value of tolerance and diversity, which makes this pattern of cultural appropriation even more baffling. At least Razik seemed to have some awareness of racial equality. 
even if he failed to implement it properly. When it came to other forms of inclusivity, Razik's track record was even worse. In that same Vogue article, Razik was interviewed about the Victoria's Secret fashion show's tendency to use only very slim models. Journalist Nicole Phelps asked if he ever intended to hire more plus-size angels. His answer? We attempted to do a television special for plus sizes in 2000. No one had any interest in it. Still don't. It was a pretty confusing stance. Two out of three American women qualify as plus size, meaning they wear size 14 or larger. And it's hard to imagine 111 million women don't want to see products designed for their own bodies on the runway. Perhaps then, Razik didn't see the fashion show as a means to promote Victoria's Secret's products to women. Maybe he designed the event to appeal to men's sexual appetites. That much seems apparent, given his answer to a later question. The reporter asked whether Victoria's Secret would ever hire a trans model. Razik replied, No. No, I don't think we should, because the show is a fantasy. In other words, trans women and women who don't fit traditional beauty standards should buy their underwear elsewhere. In Razik's mind, Victoria's Secret, or at least its fashion show, is only for women that appeal to his own sexual preferences. And according to some allegations, Razik didn't just expect the brand to cater to his fantasies. He acted on his desires. This meant that aspiring models who only wanted to earn a living, instead found themselves trapped in a culture of sexual harassment and rape. Up next, Victoria's Secret meets the Me Too movement. Now, back to the story. The Victoria's Secret fashion show first aired in 2001, offering ordinary Americans a peek behind the curtain, an opportunity to see fashion's sultriest industry in action. Even though the brand created products for women, its televised fashion show catered directly to the male gaze, sexualizing their predominantly thin, white, cis models. The brand's chief marketing officer, Ed Razek, tried to defend his casting choices, saying the fashion show was selling a fantasy. He also tried to claim he'd never pressure any models to lose weight or adopt unhealthy diet practices. In fact, Razik argued that his angels all worked out together, often adopting intensive regimens at the exact same gym by pure happenstance. In a Vogue interview, Razik explained, In 1999, 2000, after we'd done the show for a few years, none of the designers who did shows would use any of the girls. They were too fat. Progress gets made, and part of what's happened in our show is that the girls have just continued to get more physically fit. We don't tell them to. That seems unlikely. It's possible the angels decided to shed pounds on their own because they were conscious of the larger, strict standards. However, it's very unlikely that all his models adopted the same kinds of workouts after they were hired by sheer coincidence. In fact, Allegations suggest that Razik was a lot more militant about weight than his interview let on. In June 2015, he screamed at his co-worker Crow Taylor when she went up for seconds at a buffet lunch. He howled that she ate too many carbs. This kind of diatribe is inappropriate in any setting. 
But to make his behavior even more alarming, Crow wasn't even a model. Her job had nothing to do with her appearance. She worked in public relations. This allegation and others came to light in a 2020 New York Times expose titled Angels in Hell, The Culture of Misogyny Inside Victoria's Secret. Reporters Jessica Silver Greenberg, Catherine Rossman, Sapna Mahawashari, and James B. Stewart presented numerous complaints against the lingerie line. Some of the allegations were already public, but the Times compiled each instance into a larger pattern of abuse. For example, they profiled photographer Russell James. He was a regular at many Victoria's Secret shoots, and he liked to ask models to pose nude for his own personal projects. Russell didn't pay any additional compensation for the extra work, but he certainly profited off the images. He sells two photo books featuring the nude Victoria's Secret models on his website. You can buy a copy for $1,800 or upgrade to the autographed art edition for $3,600. In fairness, most angels participated in James's sessions voluntarily. But there's a power differential at play. Imagine you're a young, up-and-coming model who hasn't made a name for herself yet. You book a big shoot with a major lingerie brand, and the photographer is one of their beloved regulars. He asks you to stay late, take off your clothes, and snap a few extra stills for his personal project. Maybe you don't mind. Maybe you do. But do you feel like you're in a position to tell him no? And as unsettling as this scenario is, other models dealt with more violent violations. Ed Razik has been accused of sexual harassment on several occasions. Models recounted numerous instances where he commented on their breasts while they dressed for fashion shows. He also groped their crotches before they stepped onto the runway. During castings, Razik often made romantic overtures to the aspiring models. These women were vulnerable and exposed, quite literally. While they posed in bras and underwear, hoping for a career-changing job offer, Razik asked for their phone numbers or invited them to sit on his lap. One model, Andy Muse, said Razik asked her to dinner in 2007. She thought it was a professional meetup, but during the ride to the restaurant, he tried to kiss her. 19-year-old Andy wasn't interested in the nearly 60-year-old Razik, but he wouldn't be dissuaded. For months, he sent her flirty emails and tried to convince her to join him on a romantic getaway. Soon after she turned him down, Andy lost her Victoria's Secret modeling gig. It's hard to say whether CEO Les Wexner knew about Razik's misbehavior. If he did, it's likely he didn't care. Company insiders knew Wexner and Razik were close, and they watched each other's backs. In fact, Razik had a reputation as something of a golden child. In Wexner's eyes, he could do no wrong. Razik wasn't the only person who Wexner protected. The CEO also turned a blind eye to his friend, Jeffrey Epstein. Yes, that Jeffrey Epstein. Before Epstein was outed as a human trafficker and a rapist, he was unofficially tied to Victoria's Secret. He didn't technically work for the company, but that didn't stop him from telling models he could cast them in lingerie shoots. On multiple occasions, he tricked women into attending fake Victoria's Secret auditions. 
Then, once they were alone together, he assaulted them. And Wexner knew all about it. At least three executives confirmed that he heard complaints against Epstein in the 1990s, but he decided not to act on them. Two events helped push Epstein's association with Victoria's Secret into the spotlight. First, the Me Too movement inspired many models to speak up about the harassment they suffered while they worked for the lingerie brand. And on July 6, 2019, Epstein was arrested for sex with underage girls. Before his case could go to trial, he died of an apparent suicide that August. The salacious arrest and questions around his mysterious death created a media frenzy. Naturally, reporters uncovered Epstein's connections to Wexner and to Victoria's Secret. It didn't look good, to say the least. Add in the ongoing issues with fat shaming, transphobia, and cultural appropriation, and their parent company, L Brand's stock, dropped 32% in 2019. As for its prized fashion show, nobody wanted to watch 50 minutes of women strutting around in their underwear. At least, not if those women were tied to a known sex criminal. On November 21, 2019, the corporation announced that the event was canceled. Officially, it was because the show didn't generate enough enthusiasm for the brand. Sales didn't change at all when the event was broadcast, meaning it wasn't an effective commercial. And its Nielsen ratings plummeted from year to year. But it seems likely that the lingerie line was also trying to distance themselves from Epstein's scandal and from all the people associated with it. That year, Ed Razik retired from his position as chief marketing officer. Around the time of his departure, Victoria's Secret announced they'd hired their first ever trans model, Valentina Sampaio. And perhaps the decision to move away from Razik's fantasy represents a new era in Victoria's Secret's branding. America's Next Top Model, too, has shifted to the times. In 2016, Tyra Banks stepped back from her hosting duties, passing the torch to singer-songwriter Rita Ora. Unfortunately, she only brought new scandals to the reality competition show. In August 2020, allegations came out accusing Rita Ora of blackfishing. The term referred to a specific form of cultural appropriation. The white celebrity posted pictures of herself in cornrows and afros, two hairstyles generally associated with black fashion. Many fans believed Aura was trying to pose as a black or biracial woman. These accusations are still developing, and we don't know how they'll play out. It's possible ANTM won't be affected. Banks returned as host for the most recent cycle, so the show may be shielded from Aura's scandals. But Banks also became a trending hashtag in 2020, and not in a positive way. Quarantined fans revisited old ANTM episodes and tweeted about problematic content that they'd overlooked when it originally aired. At this point, it's again too soon to say if these complaints will be a flash in the pan or if they'll push the show's producers to permanently shift their approach. Maybe the internet campaign will spur the reality show to change the way it handles diversity and body positivity. And perhaps someday televised fashion shows and competitions will be inclusive, positive, and uplifting. For now, 
The clothes, the makeup, and the TV cameras provide a shiny distraction and serve to disguise the darkness at the heart of fashion-themed entertainment. Thanks for listening. For more information about the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show and America's Next Top Model, we found the New York Times Angels in Hell, The Culture of Misogyny Inside Victoria's Secret by Jessica Silver Greenberg, Catherine Rossman, Sapna Maheshwari, and James B. Stewart, especially helpful to our research. We also use Nicole Phelps' Vogue interview with Ed Razek, titled, We're Nobody's Third Love, We're Their First Love. The architects of the Victoria's Secret fashion show are still banking on bombshells. Next week, we'll explore the tragic stories of famous fashion designers Alexander McQueen, Kate Spade, and Steve Madden. We'll discuss how the industry's intense demands create a pressure cooker and how some of history's greatest talents tragically lost their lives. You can find more episodes of The Dark Side Of for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. Just open the app and type The Dark Side Of in the search bar. We'll see you next time. The Dark Side Of was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of The Dark Side Of was written by Angela Jorgensen, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher, and stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rossner. Listeners, you don't want to miss Incredible Feats, the all-new Spotify original from Parcast. Host Dan Cummins free-falls straight into the weirdest, wildest achievements of all time. New episodes air every weekday. Search Incredible Feats and follow free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.